Welcome to Kids Gone Global, a community podcast brought to you by the International School of Hamburg, Germany's pioneer institution in international education. I'm Sarah Reich, your host and the school's director of community relations. In this series, we explore how this international school helps its students hone their skills to become global citizens who can thrive and engage fully in our interconnected and ever-changing world. So what are these 21st century life skills? Together, we will explore the dynamic landscape of education and uncover how schools are adapting to prepare students for a global society. I have the privilege of engaging in conversations with students and experts in the field of international education and childcare. Through these dialogues, we aim to expand our understanding of educational practices in a globalized world. Welcome and enjoy the show. The future is by definition unpredictable. And in our globalized society, with its fast pace of change, our future, our children's future of 2030s, 2040s, is round the corner and yet unfathomable. Meanwhile, the core purpose of school is to prepare students for what lies ahead, to lay the groundwork for them to become active and engage global citizens that will adapt, thrive, and even shape what this future holds for them. So how do schools go about it? Here to talk about it today is Dr. Alan Knoblach. He's the head of the International School of Hamburg since 2022. With a life committed to teaching and a career spanning 30 years in the international education sector across the world, Alan speaks regularly at regional and international conferences on the topic of modern education. So who best to answer the following question? What skills should schools teach students to best prepare them for their future? Welcome, Alan. Thank you. Can you tell us about your background as an educator? Sure. This is my 35th year in education. I started off in U.S. public schools. From there, my wife and I decided to move overseas. And as you noted, we traveled around the world. This is our seventh country that we've worked in now. We have 10 years experience in Africa, 10 years in Asia, seven in the Middle East, and five in the United States. I taught in both the junior school and secondary school level, as well as I've been a principal at both levels. This is actually my 10th year as a head of school. Prior to coming to Hamburg, I was the director of the International School of Dakar in Senegal. In addition to this, I've worked at the university level, teaching graduate classes and serving on doctoral dissertation committees. I consider myself first and foremost a teacher. I continue to teach different courses and workshops around. And really excited to be here in Hamburg to, it's at a critical time for us as we define what the future of education will look like for this community. You mentioned this community, this school. You've been here for about a year now. How would you define the profile of the International School of Hamburg? The school has a very long history, 65 years, over 65 years actually. It's been serving the international community Originally started off serving the, the American and the British communities. And then as Hamburg continued to grow as a global presence, we now have children from over 50 different nationalities. About 80% of our students are international families, people from around the world, or perhaps German families who've lived abroad for many years. And about 20% of our families are, are Hamburg residents who've made, made the choice to come to our school. We are a private independent school. We are offering a private education. We do accept about 98% of the students who apply. There is a process. The, the biggest question is, do we have a program to meet the children's needs? As a school, we're quite excited by the fact that 
we're not just about academics. While academics are important, we do serve the whole child, meaning we have a very robust arts program, robust sports program. In addition to that, we pay attention and serve the child's social emotional needs. We're fortunate enough to have counselors on staff and programming to help students develop in those areas. Now, taking this school's approach into consideration, you mentioned focusing on the whole child, not just acquisition of basic knowledge, pushing the academics, nurturing talent and interest through extracurricular programs, and providing students with individual social-emotional support where needed. This seems to go way beyond our traditional expectation of schooling. So what is for you the purpose of school nowadays? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think we are a service business and families obviously are making a choice to come to our school. Last year when I arrived, I invited parents to come in and tell me their story, what they liked about the school, what their hopes and dreams were for the school. And when I asked them that question, what do you want for your child attending ISH? More parents than not said happy. The purpose of our schools today is to take care of students, to help them be successful academically, to help them navigate as they move through childhood to adolescence, to engage them, give them choices, develop their passions, let them explore things that they didn't know in a very safe, supportive environment. Kids are going to make mistakes where we're certainly going to hold them, have boundaries for them around that, but we're also, they're also going to get second chances. If they're having issues navigate things, there are people there. So for our families, the number one purpose of the school is to create a happy environment where kids want to come. Obviously, we're a school. Our job is to produce students to be successful in the next step. For some of our families, they're only going to be here for two, three, four years, and then they're going to return perhaps to their home country where their national system is or to another international school. So for our younger students, we're really looking at making sure they have a very strong foundation in the basics, reading, writing, mathematics, developing critical thinking skills. That will set them up for whatever academic program they go to later on in life. For our older students, we are an international baccalaureate school, which means we offer the middle years program for students in grades six through 10, the IB career program and the IB diploma program, which is generally considered the gold standard for uh, end of high school programs. We have an academic program that prepares students for university and beyond. So for those students, what you want to do is, is start delving into specialization of skills and the sciences and mathematics, individual societies, things like design technology, so that they're prepared to move forward. Every school that ends, you're looking at, for the students who want to, are getting into the university of their choice. One of the things we're really quite proud of is as we serve an international community, many of our families, the students graduate from here and will literally go around the world to university. We have students going to university in Asia, in Japan, South Korea, all across Europe, the United Kingdom, Canada, and the United States. And we do quite well in that. One of the things we found out is over the past four years, ISH graduates have been accepted into the top three universities in over 10 different countries. So ultimately, what is the purpose of school? Make sure the students are safe and are happy or taken care of. The secondary purpose is to prepare them for the next level, whether that's going to another school or to university and, and moving onwards. But that's an issue, again, when I say prepare, you want them to be prepared academically, you want them to be prepared as a person. You want them to be self-confident, be able to be independent in their learning, uh, know how to navigate that. And so that today, that's the purpose of the schools is to prepare students for the next level where they can be happy and 
So that's for the purpose of the school. How does that translate into teaching them essential skills and, and what are these? Yeah, so a lot of things for some of the parents listening or for even older generations, when we went to school, it was about learning knowledge, right? You needed a set of body of knowledge that you were going to use. Knowledge is turning over so fast and certainly understanding the, the classical education of history, reading, sort of the basics, if you will, languages is really important. But as our students move forward, if you think of a child entering today into grade one, moving out into the world in 2040, their world's going to look very different. And, the, and we can't even, we don't even know what things are going to be happening out there. Think of artificial intelligence and how fast that came up. So for us, in addition to a good solid foundation, what we want them to be is have critical thinking skills, to be able to look at a problem, develop a solution, come up with answers and try to implement it. So critical thinking is a really important part of all of our programs, and it's embedded in all courses. You teach it through science discovery, you teach it through history, you teach it through geography and how people interact. Creative thinking is quite important. We want students to be able to think outside the box. Certainly that's artistic based. You want somebody who's able to question the status quo. Collaboration, you need to be able to work with people. That's uh, one of the top five skills that employers are asking for in their employees now and moving into the future is working in teams. We want our students to basically have a curiosity and inquiry thoughts. So the idea is when they're encountering something that they don't know, that not only they, they can ask the right questions and they have the ability to continuously learn because there are going to be things that are kind of come up and they're going to face and they're going to have to learn it on their own because their proper schooling of whatever it was won't be enough for them. Communication. The ability, communication for us is the ability to listen well, the ability to speak confidently, speak in large groups and be persuasive. And the last thing I hope we give our students is this idea of that the agility, flexibility and adaptability. Certainly we've seen with COVID, with the climate change crisis, with issues politically, the world changes on us and you have to have people who can move and be willing to change with it. With the introduction of AI, or have you certainly seen some countries where jobs have been outsourced, a certain set of skills, one set static set of skills is not going to be enough. And people are going to have to have this idea of being able to be flexible and adaptable, learn new skills, learn new abilities to make a living. There are some things that are time that are timeless, like critical thinking. And for example, digital literacy, continual learning and modern communication that are new that our students have to be, no matter what they do when they leave us, they have to be able to do well. Now, to put this in perspective, how does an international school address these skills compared to a normal state school? One of the, the best things we have about being a private independent school is our flexibility. We're not bound by any government or national curriculum. So we can pick from the best models. We've chosen an inter international curriculum, so it's not just a German or a UK or an American curriculum. The International Baccalaureate curriculum is based on their approaches to learning and the set of skills that they want that we've been talking about. And so it's really a framework of learning that you pour knowledge through, as opposed to if you go to certain places, certain schools, government schools, you have to learn their curriculum. What's fascinating about our environment is the students are in a class, like I said, we have children from 50 different countries. So you have a wide range of backgrounds, cultural beliefs different perspectives. And so when issues come up on how do you solve a real world problem, you don't have one view of it. You have a global view of it and people come at it from very different ways. 
And so it's one of the uh, real big benefits coming here is your children are exposed to many different cultures and you don't get into one set of group mind think. I think that that internationalism, the global nature of us, we talk about developing global citizens, really supports the idea of being flexible, adaptable. It does allow for empathy. Um, and so I think that that's sort of the added advantage. That's our value-added proposition, if you will, is not only do you have an international curriculum, but you have an international student body that will bring a whole set, different set of perspectives to the table. So is this about getting an early real-life experience of a society? Yeah, I mean, to go on to that, like I said, collaborate, right? In today's world, if you're moving forward, your ability to work with people across nationality, across cultural differences is essential. And our kids are learning that from age three. You walk into the, the youngest classrooms and you're seeing kids from different cultures navigate and learn how to work together. Are there non-academic skills the school should be teaching our children? Certainly. I think one of the things that I, we often talk about, again, empathy is a big one, perspective taking. But I think resiliency is, is a huge one today. Our school believes in a growth mindset. So the idea is a fixed mindset is, one, is the belief that we are born with one set of intelligence and it's fixed and we can't change it, which means we're either good at math or we're bad at math. And we know that's not true. The growth mindset is the belief that you just haven't learned it yet and you have to think of different ways to learn it and that with enough time and effort and support, anybody can learn at a high level. In order to buy into a growth mindset, you have to prepare yourself for failure, right? As you learn new things, as you learn difficult things, you're not going to do well the first times. We ask students, our students in grade nine and 10 are taking chemistry and physics, biology at a high level, mathematics, and they have to be willing to try new things. One of the things that we support that with is our arts program and our sports program. So for example, in the arts, if you want to try out for the play, you don't have to want to be the star. If you want to do that, that's great. And you audition, but we will find a part for you. So you can have the experience of, if you're a shy person being on stage, or if you'd rather be behind the scenes and, and learn all those great skills of, of collaboration, we can find a place for you, but you'll have to be willing to take that risk. You have to fight through the fear of failure. And that's one of the things that we, we really, I think, produce in our students is that resilience factor of it. One of the things coming out of COVID and, and what we're seeing is this idea of self-care. One of the things we do really well and I'm proud of is paying attention to students' emotional and mental well-being. The research is clear, whether you look at the German studies, the studies from the UK, the studies from the United States, we've seen a dramatic increase in depression, anxiety, self-harm amongst our youth. It was going up pre-COVID and then COVID, of course, just accelerated it. So we actually spend a lot of time and proactively teach students about self-care. We start with the fundamentals of wellness, sleeping enough, getting enough exercise, eating healthy. Then we move on to the idea of helping them as they confront issues or conflict. And we actually have counselors there who proactively teach that. And then they're there to support them when there is conflict or issues of crisis. Self-care is a big one moving forward. The idea we talk about with the staff is if a student is having emotional issues, they're not going to care about the math test or the English paper. And so we need to have them in a good space mentally and emotionally because we are serving the whole child. And so our program, one expects that we'll have to be able to do that. And more importantly, has the resources to be able to support the students, whether it be the sports, the arts, or the social emotional side of it. How do you help children hone these skills for the future? We need to give students opportunities to wrestle with, learn about, and help solve real world problems. 
when you look at the United Nations and they talk about the 20 challenges of the future, right? And looking at things like climate change, water, food instability, those are things that, are, that we need to bring into the curriculum. So rather than just learning about the geography of a country, it's a matter of understanding the challenges that country faces and, and what are the real world issues that we have to now come solve. What we do in our school is we really try to bridge curriculum so we're not teaching it in separate silos. Another big part of this is getting the students outside of the school walls. You can't learn it by just sitting in this classroom for 40 minutes a day. Um, our school, for example, our students in grade nine spend two weeks on internships. At other schools I've been at, we get students from grade nine through 12 where they're going to spend a couple of weeks in their summer at veterinarian offices or doctor's offices or, or in a business where they can actually see firsthand what the world of, of work is like. I want our students also to be interacting with people who are very different from themselves. We talk a lot about community partnerships. And so where possible, and you can do it in the, in the city of Hamburg, you can do it across the world, but making sure that our students are breaking out of our bubble, because we're very mindful of the fact that we are a private school, so we are serving a segment of the population. But I think one of the, when I think back to one of the great examples from a previous school, it was a project for the IB diploma and the students as part of their IB economics program had to solve a real world problem. And one of the things that they knew was there were farmers not too far outside of the city of Shanghai who were having trouble selling their eggs because they were having a lot of production, but there was so much, so many other egg farmers that they really weren't able to sell too much. The other thing they knew was the community of the school at the time the parents and the teachers were very interested in organic food. They wanted to kind of branch out and be healthy. And so what these students did is they raised some money and they went out to the village and they said, listen, we promise to buy a certain amount of eggs every week from you. We'll take it back to our school and we'll sell it to the school community. But in order to do that, you, the farmer has to agree that the chickens aren't going to be cooped up, that they're going to be free range, that's going to be organic. You're not going to feed them hormones or, or, or synthetics or anything like that. So the farmers were actually quite happy to, to enter in this deal where they could have a guaranteed buyer for their eggs. So then they start off relatively small. And what the students would do, like I said, they raised a pot of money, they bought the eggs, they brought them back to the school and they would sell them. They sent out emails to parents and teachers and said, who wants eggs? And they quickly sold out. They added a premium on the price. And so what it did is it, they generated a profit, which they could then in turn go back to the farmers and reinvest that money to pay them to grow eggs. And it was extremely successful. I was the principal and they came to me one day and they said, Mr. Knobloch, we have a problem. And I said, well, okay, how can I help you? And they said, we need a refrigerator. I said, a refrigerator, why do you need a refrigerator? And they said, well, our moms are getting mad at us. I said, well, you got to tell me more about this. And so basically what happened is these students, like any other 14, 15, 16, 17 year olds, they had to like, talk to their parents about this, but all of a sudden their business grew from a couple crates to cases of eggs and they were coming home to their apartments and their houses and they're putting the eggs in the family refrigerator. Therefore, there had no space for the family's groceries and the rest of it. And so as a school, I said, well, you, you're all good business people. I said, I'll make a deal with you. I said, we'll buy money so you can have these refrigerators. I said, but you have to pay us back. And it was a very successful project that that group of students handed on to another group of students. And I think the part that I loved around that story was what we're teaching in the classroom in an economics classroom about supply and demand and filling a need, negotiating contracts, if you will, 
And learning by doing this process was made in a very real world thing. The, the students got out of their bubble. They were out in the villages. They were using the language skills. So even, and again, this wasn't just Chinese kids talking to Chinese farmers. This was international kids talking to Chinese farmers. And they got such a great real world experience that people pay a lot of money for. I think they, it, they brought the community together. It gave them a big education side of it so they could talk to the parents and the teachers about what life was like for the farmers and how they could support them. And those are the real world experiences we want for our students. We want them to get outside the school wall. I want them to learn rather than learning in a book. I want them to learn through experience. And so when we talk about the challenges for today, it's, it's really getting in addition to a great foundational education, it's getting them out into the real world so they can see it firsthand. We hear a lot about the need to develop our children into engaged global citizens ready for the world of tomorrow, something UNESCO is actively engaged on. And you mentioned here an important part of it, which is building up resilience. Can you tell us a bit more about this? Yeah, it's a combination. Resilience comes, first of all, from letting students know it's okay to fail. What we know about any successful entrepreneur, any successful scientist, is they will fail over and over and over again. Um, and so part of it is setting up that expectation. So literally telling the students at the beginning, this is going to be hard. Some of you may not get it right away, but we're going to work together to work through it. And, and then just working with the students so you can get it now. So, okay, now we're going to teach it to you a second way or a third way or a fourth way until they get it. One of the things we work with in our students is really that reflective process. So once they've gone through a unit, once they've gone through part of the year, the teachers then talk to them about, okay, how did we do? Oh, well, I, I did okay. It was hard at the beginning. I got better. And then they talk them through, what did you do to get better? What changed? What did you do differently? What resources did you access? And, and you need to complete that loop. It's not just sitting there saying, okay, try harder. It's actually thinking about how did you get to the spot? It's things like we want to expose students to sports and arts and somebody who tries volleyball or badminton for the first time are not going to be good. One of the things that we allow for when you come out for our sports is we have multiple ways to play sports and it's not a competitive thing like on a club team that if you don't make the A squad, you're not going to play. Our kids all get to play so that we're willing to take students where they are and take them as far as they can go. And I think it really comes down to acceptance from the teacher standpoint, they're not punitive about it. They're not demeaning about it. They understand that learning is a process. But I think the other part about having kids reflect on this was hard. It got better. What did I do really helps. So are you talking about basically developing self-awareness, self-knowledge mm -hmm. in the students? It is. And it's also the ability of how to take advantage of the resources that exist around you, right? Oftentimes some students sit there, if I have a fixed mindset and I don't get it, I give up. Students with a growth mindset who can access resources say to the teacher, can I talk to you outside of class? Can I come for extra help? They might go to other kids and say, can we work on this problem together? They might go to the smartest kid in the class and say, can you help me with this? So part of resilience isn't only the fact that you know, when you get knocked down, you're going to get back up, but it's really like, how do I overcome this obstacle? When I was doing my doctoral work, one of my colleagues did a study on students with learning differences at the university level. And one of her findings was that students who had learning dif differences or learning difficulty at the high school level actually had higher grade point averages or higher grades than students who, sit, who did brilliantly all through high school and then had trouble at university. Because the biggest difference was the students who schooling came easy to were eventually going to hit a point where it's going to be hard, but they didn't know how to get around it because they had internalized that it was them. I'm smart. I can get it. It's easy. 
then when you encounter something you can't do, all of a sudden the message is, wait a minute, I'm not smart enough. And so for us, the resilience part is, is teaching those students to advocate for themselves. And I think if you can advocate for yourself, be able to identify resources that support you, that's one of those future skills that are essential no matter what you do. And then it goes back to that attitude of, I can, I can do this. If this is what the school provides to students to prepare them for life, what is the role of the parents and is that role changing? This is obviously also partly a, a cultural question, you know, as parents view their own roles in the school. I can tell you from our perspective, we believe that our parents are our partners. They're essential to the process. We see it as a triangle, student, teacher, parent. And what that means is as an age appropriate level is that the teachers are making sure that the students, they're bringing work home, that they're having conversations with the students. You know, it goes beyond what did you learn today? It's like, tell me, tell me two things that you learned today, or tell me about a book you read, or tell me something the teacher told you. So that they're interacting with the child in a way, is, it's actually a, a very purposeful process of having the students recall what happened during the day. Within the brain, that's going to help them cement things and, and learn things and see if the parent is interested in it, the child's got to be more interested in it. So when they're younger, as they get older, of course, you need to make sure that um, you are doing the work, you're engaged with the teachers. We offer multiple opportunities to talk to the teachers at student conferences. We send home reports multiple times a year so that you're there to support the child. If there is a problem, the teachers will ask you to come in. We'll have a conversation around it and so that you can be there to support the parent. We expect our parents to be actively active participants. As they get older, as they get near the end of it, you actually, if things are going well, your job then is to become cheerleader, supporting them, making sure they are taking care of themselves in the appropriate way and really giving them the freedom to, to be successful or in some cases make mistakes. The more involved, the research actually tells us this, the more involved a parent is in the child's education, the better the chances are the student will do well. So for you, it's a team effort to teach our younger generation. I think of, when you look at the future, I go back to what I began with, what some of the parents said the purpose of the school was, and that's to be happy. We certainly learned that life is too short to be unhappy. And school should be a joyous place. Yes, it's hard work. And yes, teenagers are teenagers and kids are going to do things. But when I see our kids coming into school, they're happy. Our little ones come in, they give me high fives. You go into the classroom and they're happy. And I think it's, it's really understanding one of the things we talk about is having striving for balance as adults and for our students. We talk about well-being and, and part of that you want to create places where kids are happy. And, and so I think for us, as we're developing education, we can't lose sight of the fact of we're a human entity, right? We, we suffered for years being separated from each other due to COVID and we were so happy to come to and so I think for us at ISH, we actually look and pay attention to, are our kids happy here? Do they have joyful experiences? Do the adults have joyful experiences? Are they, do they want to come to work? There's always ups and downs, but I think in general, people are really happy here. And I think that happiness, that well-being on the students' part translates into being better students. And with those fine words, we close this first episode of Kids Gone Global. Thank you, Alan. Thank you for the time and the chance. Come visit us if you get a chance. We'd love to show off the school to you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Kids Gone Global. 
brought to you by the International School of Hamburg. There is a reading list available for this episode and others of this series on our website. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.